More than a pleasure to have joining us Dr. Merrill Nass, an internal medicine physician who identified the first modern use of anthrax as a biological weapon during the Rhodesian Civil War in 78. She's researched the anthrax vaccine, found it contributed to Gulf War syndrome and chronic illnesses in soldiers. She gave seven congressional testimonies on bioterrorism, anthrax and Gulf War syndrome, and she showed that there was no direct evidence that Bruce Ivins was the anthrax letters perpetrator. The FBI was not able to show scientifically that the anthrax letters spores were even derived from his supply of anthrax. Subsequently, she's worked on issues of vaccine safety and effectiveness. More than a pleasure to have back on the program, Dr. Merrill Nass. Dr. Nass, thank you for rejoining us and a belated Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you very much for inviting me. I want to play this quick uh, audio from Governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, politician pretending to be a doctor, I guess. Or All I can say is that I, we vaccinated ours. And so, you know, that's the, the best uh, expression I can give you my opinion. You know, it's much more important, I think, what you think as a parent than what you think um, as a public official. And that's what we do. Um, but I also understand that parents need to have some measure of choice in things as well. So that's the balance that the government has to decide. But I can just tell people from our perspective. Uh, Mary Pat and I have had our children vaccinated, and we think it's an important part of making sure we protect their health and the public health. So basically what he's saying here, Dr. Nass, uh, today, that parents should have some choice on whether to vaccinate their children. Do you agree or disagree with that? Should parents have some choice on to whether, whether to vaccinate or not, or should vaccinations be mandatory? Um, I absolutely agree that parents should have choice. Um, I also think that, that it's a mistake to lump all vaccines together because some are more effective than others. Some have more side effects. Some children won't need a, va- a vaccine. And so I, I think it's because all vaccines have the potential for adverse reactions, it's important to look at each child and each vaccine individually. Um, yeah, I, I know, you know, I know a lot more about this than people think, and I'll tell you why. And, and, and doctor, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Um, I have two children, one I adopted from another country, Pakistan. And when I say that he had to have, oh, 36 vaccines Mm -hmm. before he came here to the United States, Mm -hmm. when he got here, he was four months old. I was leery because that's before the paper and the doctor that originally linked autism uh, to vaccinations was found out to be uh, a fraud. And I have to tell you, though, even though he was found to be a fraud, I have friends who will not be named, uh, but three of which testified before Congress, who, who say, you know, there's a link. We have a friend who I have to say, without question, his three-year-old daughter changed on Tuesday from Monday when she had uh, the vaccine. So let's just talk to that uh, point for a second. Uh, is one of the reasons you feel, well, first of all, let's specify that parents should have a choice, whether to vaccine or not. And I say that because we know what's just happened recently where I am in Southern California is somebody or a couple of somebody, said not been vaccinated uh, with measles, had measles, spread it. There are still people contracting it now uh, from uh, babies, from employees, from uh, patrons of Disneyland and California Adventureland who had uh, the measles and those who were not uh, vaccinated who have come down with the measles, which you know can be fatal for for an infant. Okay, you've said a lot of things. The first thing I want to say is that Andrew Wakefield, who was the first author on the paper you referred to that was published in The Lancet in 1998, um, I don't think he should be called a fraud, although many people do call him that. Uh, There were about 10 other authors on that paper. Some of them have not um, uh, taken their name off of it. Some have. 
And if you actually read it, which I've done a couple of times, you'll see that he suggests that there just might be a relationship and that further research should be done to look into um, measles vaccine virus and autism. So um, because this was such a charged subject, he was treated in a way that other doctors who have done much, much worse things would never be treated. So he had public hearings and a, a court, uh, a medical court for about a year, and he did not do everything correctly in that paper. He did not, he made some mistakes, but it, there wasn't really fraud, to, in my mind, to a great extent, compared to what one finds in, in many other papers that are published all the time. For example, up to 10% of papers now are written by ghost authors, not written by the people whose names are on the paper. Now, to me, that's clearly fraud, and yet 10% of the medical literature is like that, at least in the top journals. Um, so, it, it, uh, Keep going, keep going. Doctor. Okay, so that's just one thing. I think the issue of whether vaccine, nobody has figured out what causes autism, and it is an epidemic with up to 1 in 50 children in the U.S. developing autism. Now, some children are born with a neurological illness um, that may look like autism. The, the term autism is used, is applied to many children with different neurologic problems. But there is a subset of children who were perfectly well, and then following a vaccine in the day or week or two afterwards, they regress. They lose the words that they knew. They stop making eye contact. They start... Um, making shrill cries instead of uh, normal sounds. And the, I have never seen a good study of children to whom that's happened showing that it wasn't due to vaccines. And certainly, I mean, that is, you know, p parents everywhere are worried because you're trying to do right by your child. And it seems that Perhaps if you delay their vaccinations, they're going to be at lo lower risk for this possible vaccine complication. And that seems reasonable to me. If your child is, for example, DPT, so diphtheria tetanus pertussis, well, your child's not going to be exposed to diphtheria because there isn't really any diphtheria in the U.S. Um, tetanus, yeah, if you get an infection um, in the skin from a, a scratch, you know, from a rusty Thing or something out in outdoors, but if you don't, your risk of tetanus is pretty low. I think people should have tetanus shots, but maybe you don't have to have them as early as you get them. Pertussis, um, we have lots of epidemics of pertussis in the United States. Every year we have epidemics of pertussis, but that's because the vaccine doesn't work very well. So all these vaccinated children get pertussis anyway as the immunity wanes after a few years. Um, with measles, mumps, rubella, Again, and that that was the that's the MMR which a lot of people are worried about years ago because of the mercury, right? In the MMR well, actually, vaccine, there's no. Um, it's a live vaccine, and there's no mercury in the live vaccines because it would kill the live viruses. So these are attenuated, weakened viruses that hopefully will only give immunity and not cause problems. Although in an immune compromised child, these vac live vaccines may cause problems, and so. They tend to be delayed or not given, although the, how, what the problems are and what, you know, how significant that is for a population of immune-compromised children is actually controversial. Uh, so, you know, one of the things, my husband's an orthopedic surgeon, and I said, what do you think about these vaccines? And, of course, this is just his professional opinion as a doctor, and with, you know, no research, this is not his area, uh, you know, his specialty being in orthopedics. And, and I'm get, I want your take on this. He, he thinks that 
that there must be some genetic pre- with regard to autism. Yeah, uh, that there must no, be. That, there that there, there must be. That he said there must be a genetic. His opinion is that there's a genetic predisposition that sometimes vaccines too many in a short period of time might trigger uh, that end up putting a child having you know whatever it is physical, emotional, right. mental uh, on that autism uh, scale. Do you feel the time frame in which the number of vaccines we're giving to our children? They give a heck of a lot here in the state of California where I live is yeah. part of the problem in your profession. Yeah, the opinion. United States gives more than pretty much any country in the world. Um, because as a, as a country or as a, a medical institution in this country, nobody has really acknowledged that there may be a, that, that too much may not be, it may be a problem. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, um, yeah, nobody's looked into whether there's a threshold or whether you may have more side effects with more vaccines. And the whole vaccine issue is so fraught with with opinions and misinformation and just just a lot of a lot of craziness um, comes out when you talk about vaccines. So let let me start out. I think your husband. I my opinion is the same as your husband's without knowledge because there isn't enough study of the possible genetic predisposition. Right, right. So, yes. CDC yeah, that, like you, like you said, it's just his, his gut, his feeling, you know, his belief with, without yeah. any, yeah. No, but it makes sense. I mean, certainly the one child, Hannah Poling, whose mother was a lawyer and father was a pediatric neurologist, who did develop autism after she got a bunch of vaccines, I think nine in one day, um, she was found to have a mitochondrial disorder, and and so it was acknowledged, actually, by the head of CDC at the time that this mitochondrial genetic disorder may have predisposed her to developing autism. But her mother is normal, is a lawyer and nurse, and has the same genetic predisposition. So she did fine with her vaccines. Um, it needs a lot of good science, and, and that hasn't happened yet. And, and, sp- and speaking of, though, so if we give control to parents... And, you know, a one parent says, I choose not to vaccinate my child. And that child contracts the measles, using the example with Disneyland and California Adventureland. They could technically put a number of people at risk and an infinite risk of, of death, couldn't they? Because I'm all for parent parental involvement, and I don't like the government mandating medically what I must uh, do or not do with my child. Uh, but But at the same time... You know, I I do feel that many of these vaccinations are necessary. Some people were saying, well, we don't need polio, but then I guess we have a couple of cases of polio in California um, as of late last year. Um, all right. Well, the federal government, Department of Health and Human Services, has standards and guidelines, and it's called Healthy People 2020. What they wanted for the country was that 90% of children be vaccinated with MMR. They have a different standard for each vaccine. And, in fact, 92% of children in the United States are vaccinated with MMR. And some, now, of, them are, some of them are not based on religion, right? You can't force a person if they have a religious belief. Right. Each okay. state has different reasons why you can refuse a vaccine. So there are three potential. There's a philosophical, a medical, and a religious exemption. And each each state decides whether they want to have one or more of those three possible exemptions. Given that, and of course people, you, you know, if you don't send your child to public school or, or private school, you don't necessarily have to vaccinate. But 92% of American parents, uh, or rather 92% of American children, have in fact been vaccinated with MMR. Now, it turns out that almost all 
measles cases that have occurred in the United States in the last 10 years were due to someone coming from overseas and spreading it. Measles is the most contagious infectious disease we know of. So if you put someone with measles in a place where everybody else is unvaccinated, they're likely to give it to between 10 and 20 other people. That's a huge number if they're unvaccinated. Now, if you put them in a place where everyone's been vaccinated, they're still likely to give it to some people because the vaccine is only 95 to 99% effective. You can improve that by vaccinating people two times or three times, but in general, we don't ask children to get a second MMR until five years old. And when my children were vaccinated, they only had to get one for life. So what happens is even if you have a country where 100% of the population has been vaccinated, we still have people coming in from overseas who may bring measles. 90% of the measles cases in the last few years were all due to these importations of measles. And so some people's immunity will wane or they have an immune system that doesn't respond appropriately to the vaccine, and there will always be a possibility of a small number of people getting measles. Okay, how big a problem is that? Well, yes, measles can cause pneumonia, it can cause encephalitis, but doesn't do it that often. So In the United States, in the last 10 years, not one person has died from measles. However, there's a study that CDC did, and they looked at adults who got MMR doses, the vaccine, reporting adverse reactions. So there were over 3,000 adverse reactions reported in only adults. Now, there were a lot more in children. But confining ourselves to adults... Seven deaths were reported to CDC between 2003 and 2013 in people who had just gotten the MMR vaccine. So when you make public health decisions about what you're going to recommend or mandate, you have to balance it. There are going to be adverse reactions from the vaccine. There are going to be adverse reactions from the disease. How many cases of disease are you likely to see? You know, and then you create some sort of equation that balances the risks and the benefits. So, in fact, we have nobody dying from measles in the United States, but some people who may have died as a result of measles vaccine. And that's the balance you're looking at. There's okay. another balance. Um, oh, ta- ta- uh, hold on, doctor. Sure. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. When we come back, we'll take some calls. I want to hear about that other balance. And uh, we'll share some tweets on this as well. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall if you want to tweet. Dr. Merrill Nass is our guest. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Nass Merrill. That's N A S S. M-E-R-Y-L. The website is msf.org. MSF is Doctors Without Borders. And we're back. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall, and our guest is Dr. Merrill Nass. Dr. Nass, before we take a couple of calls, and we don't have that much time uh, left, you uh, had another um, uh, another comment that you were going to make when we were talking about these uh, vaccinations. And yes. Please do. Sure. So there was a father in California who asked that everybody in his school be vaccinated because his child had leukemia and potentially was at risk from the vaccine. So he wanted everybody else to be vaccinated to cocoon his child. But you have to realize that some of those other children, were they to get vaccinated, might excrete that vaccine virus. 
So it's been shown in nasal secretions, oral secretions, that some people may, the purpose of a live vaccine is to grow virus in your body to stimulate a stronger immune system. So his child still might be susceptible to being vaccinated inadvertently in that school. Another thing people should be aware of is if they have a child with, who is immune compromised and that child is exposed to measles, actually you've got usually 10 to 15 days before you come down with measles and there is time to give in that period or at the onset immune globulin, which is called passive immunization. So somebody else's blood has antibodies against measles virus. You can inject that just like gamma globulin. And that will give that child antibodies, and so it will give them some immunity. So um, even if you have an immune-compromised child, it, getting measles is not a death sentence by any means. Let's take some calls. 8886-LESLIE, and we start out with Linda in New Jersey. Hi, Linda. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good. What's your question or comment, Linda? Uh, actually, I've been chatting with you on Twitter. I'm a family practice doctor in New Jersey, uh-huh. and I think that, we need to do a better job of immunizing kids. I was just listening that measles is not a death sentence. However, according to scientific and historical data, every thousand kids that get measles, one or two of them are going to die. It causes encephalitis. It causes blindness, deafness. So it's not a benign disease. Doctor? Yeah, my comment yes. is that those, those data are very old. And um, as I said, we've had over a 1,000 children get measles in the U.S. in the last 10 years, and none of them have died. And so the, the death rate is quite high in the third world, but it's, I'm sure, significantly lower in the first world than one in a 1,000, which is what it used to be when everybody got measles. Okay, Maggie in New Mexico, line five, quickly, question or comment for the doctor. Yes, hi. Um, I had my son vaccinated with the MMR when he was two. He had a very adverse reaction to it. He couldn't walk for four days. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to the PED, um, I told them I thought it was because of the shot. She kind of intimidated me, basically made me feel like I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and so when I had my uh, daughter, um, I had asked to have her titers checked before mm-hmm. we did um, some of the vaccines. Um, and I was basically told there was no way I could go about getting the titers checked on my own. I'd have to get a doctor's authorization to do that. Mm-hmm. Right, sure. And the insurance wouldn't pay for it. And there was really no options for me, is what they had told me. Mm-hmm. Well, so my question- you, have the op- you have those three potential waivers. So a religious, um, a philosophical, or a medical waiver. And since your first child had had an adverse reaction to the vaccine, um, it's, you know, I, some doctors would have given you a medical waiver at least to delay the vaccine until the child was older. Okay. Thank you, doctor, for being with us this afternoon and uh, having you on the program again. It's been a pleasure, and we definitely will talk to you in the future, I am sure. Dr. Meryl Nass, internal medicine physician. She was the one who identified the first modern youth of anthrax as a biological weapon. Follow her on Twitter at Nass Merrill, N-A-S-S Merrill. The website for Doctors Without Borders is msf.org.